Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Coming up on our program today, we're going to take a look at trade issues with both Mexico and Canada. As we've said before, USMCA did not solve all the problems. We have uh, trade issues with both of our neighbors, and we'll get an update with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. A lot going on with the markets. We'll take a look at those with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. And the National Cattlemen's Beef Association supporting some legislation called the Halls Act. And we'll get the very latest on that from Allison Rivera with NCBA. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with a check on the news with Jerry Hagstrom, the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, is always good to talk with you. And the push is on climate policy, climate policy, carbon, carbon, carbon. We're hearing a lot about those issues these days, aren't we? Well, we certainly are. Uh, Robert Bonney, the uh, senior advisor on climate for Secretary Vilsack, said he's worried that agriculture is going to get left behind. He wants the carbon bank created uh, through the Commodity Credit Corporation, but the Republicans, particularly Senate Ag Com- Committee ranking member uh, John Bozeman, says he doesn't think USDA has the authority to do that. So what I want to see is how that's going to be resolved. I would, at some point, I think there'll have to be an legal opinion from somebody on this, uh, but we haven't seen any indications of, of legal opinions coming forward. And also you get into that uh, sticky issue of do you have the government competing with private interests, and uh, uh, they'll try to avoid some things like that. Well, yes. Um, the the Biden administration, particularly Secretary Vilsack and also Robert Bonney, said they don't want to compete with the private sector. They just want to create the circumstances under which the private sector would be assured that the that the carbon is being sequestered, that it can be counted, that uh, it will uh, that it will be the, the so that these carbon credits will actually be saleable. To the companies that want to use them in order to co- to counteract their other uh, uh, climate, dis- let's say, carbon disturbing activities. Uh, so that's what USDA says it says it wants to do. Um, uh, but I'm, you know, USDA is still connect collecting uh, statements from farmers and others. Uh, so we don't have any clear picture yet about what it's going to be. Uh, Senator Stabenow says she's going to reintroduce her her growing climate solutions bill fairly soon, so maybe that will give us some idea. Yeah, we we seem to have more concepts than we have details at this point. That's a very good way to put it, Mike. Uh, and we and then there are also those people who wonder uh, whether this is really a way to address climate change. Uh, we don't know how long the carbon will stay in the ground. Uh, we don't, you know, we, uh, will the farmers uh, disturb it? Uh, we got lots of questions yet, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we, ju- you know, we just have to wait. I guess there's nothing we and nothing any of us can do about finding this yeah, out. The, uh, there seems to be this rush to get to it, but uh, you got to make sure you uh, uh, have the details before you get to too far out, 
over your skis. So we'll see what happens here with this. Meanwhile, lawmakers are planning to expand the child feeding programs. What can you tell us about that? Well, this, yes, the Senate Agriculture Committee will hold a hearing tomorrow on the child uh, feeding programs, uh, which, of course, I think should be of more interest to farmers than they usually uh, realize, because, of course, the government buys a lot of food to feed the, the, the nation's children, particularly the lower-income children. Um, and uh, so this hearing will be held tomorrow in, in, in Senate Ag. Now, a big issue that's coming up is whether or not the bill would make uh, school lunch free uh, to all children in the country. Uh, the advocates, the anti-hunger advocates, want to make it meant, want to make school lunch free, which it is at the moment uh, due to the pandemic. But of course, there are a lot of children who are not getting school lunch because they're not in school or they're not getting these grab-and-go uh, uh, meals. Uh, that would cost a lot of money. The advocates say it would be easier for the schools if they didn't have to collect the money, if they didn't have to collect the information on whether a child deserves a free lunch, a, a reduced-price lunch, depending on the parent's income. Uh, so that's a, that's a big issue. Then there's also the WIC program for, uh, for pregnant women and, and mothers and, and small children. Uh, they, the, the participation rate in that isn't very high, and they want to increase the participation rate in that. That would also lead to more purchases of milk and other uh, healthy foods for small children. And the Biden administration pushing a $3 trillion package called infrastructure, even though there are things in it other than infrastructure. Uh, what kind of a reception is it getting on Capitol Hill? Well, I have learned over the years infrastructure can mean almost everything. We used to think of it as roads and bridges, but definitely today it includes broadband. Uh, I'd say that the, the, the main issue is between, between the Democrats and the Republicans is how it will be paid for. Uh, there's talk that it might have to go through budget reconciliation again, which would mean only the 51 votes would be needed, but then they could do it with some deficit spending. Um, uh, Biden, of course, says he wants to work with the Republicans, but he seems willing that if they won't go along with what he wants, uh, he'll um, uh, he'll do it just with the with the Democrats. Um, so there's a lot of talk about that, but that does seem to be the next big package that's going to be proposed in Congress. Yeah, big may be an understatement. I mean, after coming off about a two trillion dollar package, now a three trillion dollar package. Is anybody sounding the alarm on the, uh, the the debt issue? Well, the Republicans talk about it some, but it's very difficult for them to do that because they've been doing so much deficit spending. They did so much deficit spending when, when President Trump was in office and the Republicans were in control of the House and the Senate. So uh, it's a difficult argument these days, and the argument to do the deficit spending is interest rates are so low that it doesn't cost a lot of money for the government to borrow money. So the reasoning is, part of the reasoning is, they did it, so we're going to do it. Yes. Yeah, yes. And, of course, in the past, it's always been the, the Democrats who were considered the big spenders, but the Republicans became big spenders, so now everybody's a big spender. And, and uh, you know, as long as you're spending on what, what one party or the other wants to spend mm -hmm. on, uh, the spending is the spending is fined in 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 their minds. Yep, but at some point we all but pay I, for it know, eventually. But I'm sure right? in in rural America there would be a lot of popularity for improving roads and bridges, 
and also for bringing the Internet to those areas that don't have it. For sure. If you get a package that could target those areas, that would uh, that would be very popular indeed. So we'll see what happens. A lot going on. Jerry, as always, thanks for the, uh, for the update. You're, you're welcome. Uh, Congress is leaving for two weeks, so we won't have too much going on now, but uh, I'm sure after Easter there'll be plenty to talk about. For sure. They'll leave us plenty to talk about before they leave town, too, I'm sure. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, trade problems with Mexico and Canada. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation fills us in next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. It's Agriculture Week, and FS salutes farmers for all they do, providing food and fiber for everyone. Since 1973, the first day of spring, or very close to it, has been designated as Ag Day to demonstrate the importance of agriculture to everyone. FS is proud to serve farmers and other rural residents and businesses and to inform consumers of the importance of agriculture and the major role it plays in feeding our population and sustaining our economy. Thanks, farmers, from FS. FS bringing you What's Next. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Despite having USMCA in place, we're having trade issues with both Canada and Mexico. Dairy issues continue with Canada. And with Mexico, concerns over their plan to ban glyphosate and biotech corn, as well as their proposal to require new testing for cheese imports. Let's talk about it with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. I guess if we thought USMCA meant just smooth waters ahead for both uh, trade for both uh, Canada and Mexico, I guess this tells us uh, there's, there's some choppy water we're going through right now. Let's start with Mexico. Uh, what are these issues? Uh, how big are these issues and how big a concern are they right now? Well, the issues are some new and some which are continuing. As you said, USMCA uh, set up a platform to address a lot of these things, uh, but enforcement is key in any trade agreement. So, as you said, we've got the issues of uh, biotechnology approvals. We haven't seen any out of Mexico since uh, May of 2018. Uh, We have this decree that the Mexican government put out back in December of 2020 they want to phase out glyphosate use in Mexico by 2024. Of course, we're concerned what's that going to mean for both. Of course, the Mexican producers have issues with that, but what's that going to mean for our exports of our products to uh, how does to uh, you know go ahead with that? So those are real concerns uh, with Mexico. There's several other issues, some of which you know have been around for years, some of which are upcoming as this agreement gets into force. But we'll have to keep working with them. Same with, uh, you know, Canada, uh, the dairy issue. Well, that's a matter of implementation. Uh, with that, we're supposed to have better access into Canada for our dairy products, and we're not seeing it yet. So that also is the subject of a, of a case that was started back in December uh, between the U.S. and Canada. So lots of work to do with our USMCA partners to make sure we have improved uh, trade and ag products. Yeah, new trade rep uh, Catherine Tai and Secretary Vilsack both uh, addressing these issues. And the American Farm Bureau Federation, your group, and other groups have sent a letter to both uh, Secretary Vilsack and trade rep Tai um, asking them to address these issues. Your president, Zippy Duvall, calling the situation with Mexico rapidly deteriorating relationship. So that, that sounds, that kind of points to the seriousness of these issues. Yes, it does. You know, we just we have a good trade relationship. It's been a growing trade relationship. They're our third largest uh, export destination. They're number one destination for U.S. corn, U.S. dairy products. We want that to continue. We want that to grow. But we don't want another government putting in new barriers to our products. So, well, we uh, we just see you have to deal with issues as they come up. You can't let them fester. And I think we thought this was a time, along with a lot of other people, to bring this right to the attention in a very uh, public way to, again, our new U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai, and, of course, USDA Secretary Vilsack. You know, there is a process where there is a uh, trade commission inside of USDA, USMCA, and we want, uh, you know, these issues to be brought up when all three 
of the uh, trade officials from the countries meet. Okay, so how does USMCA work in these disputes? I mean, we say it, there's a mechanism for dealing with them. What is that mechanism? What is that uh, procedure to go through? Yes, what you have to do first, this whole trade commission is where the ministers can talk. And if they can get some effort there just by bringing it up and discussing it, that's fine. If they can't, the dispute settlement mechanism, which has started with Canada, works there. One side says, we need to talk this out. You have about 30 plus days or so to make sure that's taken care of. You know, they get through that discussion. If there is no decision then, then you can proceed to filing a formal case and bring it into the dispute process within USMCA. So those are, those are the processes, uh, as always, as best to try to get these things worked out without going to that because we know dispute settlement takes the time. But um, in some cases, uh, that's, that's what you have to do. It can take a while. And in the meantime, the one with Canada, that's an ongoing issue. And the one, they're kind of new or, or kind of flaring back up. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Meanwhile, the situation with China, even though they are buying from us, certainly buying a lot of U.S. corn, uh, there are some concerns there about where we're headed, uh, kind of the, the testy as I've been calling it, testy start to uh, the relationship between the Biden administration and China. Yes, we saw that in the meetings last week with our Secretary of State and the head of our National Security Council with their Chinese counterparts. And, you know, whether that was uh, meant to be, you know, the airing of issues um, before they could get down to work or how long these continuing issues will uh, be a real problem for U.S.-China relations, that's hard to know. Of course, for our ag sales, you know, we've been operating under the Phase 1 agreement. That agreement continues. The part that ends at the end of 2020 is the purchases commitment. That was a two-year deal on the purchases. But all the standards changes and everything else that was in the agreement continues. So, you know, we would like to see, uh, <laughs> we would like to see the U.S. and China work on another phase. There was supposed to be a phase two of this, moving on to other issues that weren't addressed in phase one potentially continuing these purchase commitments. We don't know yet uh, where the administration stands on that. But, um, you know, we like to think that you have to get through some of these tough issues to get down to business. So uh, we just have to watch. And, uh, you know, as we're talking with the administration, encouraging them to make sure the phase one agreement continues, uh, lives up to its uh, potentiality in all ways that we, it can happen. And we move on to a continue a good trading relationship with China. Yeah, we're waiting to kind of see how the Biden administration is going to handle these issues. And I know there are some people working on them now, but it seems like so far what we're hearing out of the new administration, their focus is more on domestic programs and issues more so than trade issues. Well, they have said that from the beginning, and I think that's a way to give them a little breathing room uh, to see uh, where things stand. would say with the United Kingdom, we have trade negotiations with, as we've talked, China and USMCA. There's also a continuing trade negotiation with Kenya, and there's other countries who probably would like to enter negotiations with us. We think the administration ought to seriously get engaged with the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership countries again and uh, look to rejoin that. So there's plenty to do. Um, I think these issues come up. You know, administrations, it's nice to think, well, we'll do everything in order. 
well, the rest of the world it really doesn't operate that way, that things come in order. Uh, whenever the administration talks to foreign leaders, I'm sure the trade is always on their mind. So they will have to deal with these issues. Uh, we're already seeing them start to engage on that now that they've got their team in place. So plenty of work forward on trade issues. And these things don't exist in a vacuum either. Uh, when you're talking about trade issues with Mexico, at a, at a time when you have border issues going on with migrants coming over the border through Mexico to into the United States, and we've seen some comments uh, by the Mexican president concerning the Biden administration, uh, um, you know, about their role in causing this. Those those things can seep into uh, trade negotiations as well. At least the uh, the the climate, the uh, the atmosphere around those talks. Well, I think there is, you know, there's an overall relationship that countries have with each other, and we have a lot of difference being our neighbor there and all these other issues, as you said, immigration-related issues and other things. But we have a structure in USMCA to deal with the trade-specific issues. So I think it's a, a good sign going forward that the USTRI has said she wants to, have, she had, wants to continue to have conversations with Mexico and Canada wants to go through the procedures in USMCA to deal with them, and uh, I think that will help keep the focus on trade. Fair to say the first really big test, serious test for USMCA. I think it is. I think it is. Let's, uh, you know, it's, it's an agreement. We all spent a lot of time working on it, getting it passed, very strong congressional support. But now it's got to be it's got to work for everybody. And uh, enforcement is always key to this. We've always called for strong enforcement of our trade agreements. We put so much effort into making them happen. Let's make sure they work, uh, especially for American agriculture. All right, Dave, thanks for the update. We'll be watching closely. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Bye bye. Dave. All right. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, we take a look at the markets. What's going on with uh, soybean oil and some other uh, factors in the markets right now? We'll break it all down with Todd Holtman. He's lead analyst for DTN. And, of course, we're a week away from the big planning intentions report. We'll get uh, Todd's thoughts on what we might see in those numbers. All that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. 
Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Row crops are mostly higher while wheat futures are trending lower this morning. This is following yesterday's sell-off. Prices continue to stay in the broad ranges they have been since the first of the year. Corn has been where the most recent demand was focused. At the same time, traders were worried about late planting of the second crop in Brazil. The bullish news put corn into a peak and gave us three days of a corn sell signal. Ag markets are making time until the major USDA reports a week from today on the Board of Trade, May corn trading a fraction higher at 551 and a half cent. The July contract up three quarters at 534 and three quarters. For soybeans, the May contract up seven and a fraction at 1430 and a half cent. The July contract up nine cents at 1420 and a fraction. For wheats, the Chicago wheat May contract trading five and a fraction lower at 629 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat May down three and a fraction at 578 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat may down three and three quarters at 626 and a half cent the July contract down three and a half cent at 635 and a half cent in cash cattle country it's another slow start today some early asking prices are starting out at around 116 to 117 dollars per hundredweight in the south but not yet established in the north beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement for livestock futures on the Board of Trade, live cattle trading lower, feeder cattle and lean hog futures trading higher. April live cattle trading 15 cents lower at 118.97. The June contract down 20 at 119.87. For feeders, the April contract up 85 at 140.60. The May contract up 57 at 146.05. For lean hogs, the April contract up $1.22 at 97.67. The May contract up $1 at 96.75. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we've got a lot of market DTN's lead analyst. Todd, thank you for joining us. Let's start with China. The big news, of course, have been buying a lot of corn lately. Um, what's behind that? Uh, is that strictly a, a demand issue now? Are they uh, concerned about potential production problems later this year, so they want to get out ahead of that. What do you see is behind the big push for their purchases right now? Hi, Mike. I, I think it's been the same thing 
uh, theme basically since uh, summer, and and that is that China just has not been able to keep up with its feed grain demand needs. Uh, and, and we've seen a trend where over the last few years, China's corn production has been relatively flat, but their consumption, their feed use continues to increase significantly. And I think they just got themselves in a much tighter deficit uh, situation, or I should say short supply situation uh, this year than anyone expected. So uh, now uh, after last week's big purchases, we're, we're looking at uh, over 900 million bushels. And if we throw in a few extra from unknown, that's probably hiding in there for China. They're close to a billion bushels uh, of purchases from us in this current season. So it's, it's a, a big, big demand boost, obviously, and that uh, continues to hold up our market. I keep seeing stories about African swine fever again in China. What are you hearing on that, and what's the impact of that moving forward? Yes, uh, I agree with you. And uh, it's not just China, but also some surrounding Asian uh, countries, Malaysia and Vietnam, also reporting incidences uh, also. I don't think uh, on anybody's scale yet that we are close to the magnitude uh, or impact on China's hog herd that we saw two to three years ago uh, when it first surfaced. And uh, most, uh, I think, private analysts are still expecting China to have increased feed demand needs this year. The one clue we continue to watch for that is China's soybean meal price. It's seen uh, a, a fairly uh, a healthy correction here. It, it's been knocked lower the past few months. But so far, I think the the African swine fever situation is staying local to China, and it does not uh, seem to have any significant effect to the bigger picture of uh, feed demand for corn or soybean meal. Talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. All right, let's go to the soybean market, and I guess the news has been with soybean oil lately. Yes, you know, uh, soybean oil is kind of the one component of the grain sector we often just don't talk about. It's, it's typically the weak sister of the, the soybean complex and uh, for many years uh, was kind of the lagger uh, in that group. But boy, ever since last summer, uh, the stars have just aligned to create a very strong, powerful bull market in soybean oil. It, it started last year with COVID impacting uh, palm oil production in Malaysia. And then uh, as economy started to rebound. Uh, It was the plant oil or vegetable oil sector that's really shown significant demand growth uh, since last summer. So so that was all going in its uh, direction. And then we saw crude oil prices start to trend higher the past couple months. And now we have a new administration in the White House and they have a big emphasis on clean energy. And uh, many are anticipating that biodiesel will uh, get some promotion and, and be a big part of that. So Soybean oil is the star of the moment, and uh, it's uh, now trading near its high, highest spot prices in eight years. And, of course, that's just another bullish factor in this very tight soybean market. Uh, yeah, a lot of us can remember when uh, biodiesel was created as a way to help uh, move soybean oil, which was a drag on the market for so long. Yes, exactly. That, that's been the history uh, of this market. So it's uh, kind of taken on a new role here that uh, not many of us expected uh, that are, are used to dealing with bean oil. All right. What's the, the latest on the situation in South America with their soybean harvest? 
you know, uh, the last several times we've talked, Mike, uh, we had a very wet, soggy forecast for central Brazil and drier weather for southern Brazil and Argentina. Now it looks like that pattern has flipped. Uh, we're looking at drier weather and uh, above normal temperatures for the central Brazil area. Now that will help them get their corn planted and the soybean uh, harvest out of the field, but it's going to be uh, a bit of a new concern moving forward uh, for that, that bigger second corn crop. And uh, of course, uh, it's that crop's not quite yet planted. We're still uh, about 80% done on the planting of that second corn. So it's still very young, very immature, and it's going to need some uh, moisture here in the days ahead. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, if this drier pattern sticks around. As far as southern Brazil and Argentina, they have better moisture uh, this week, and it looks like uh, maybe we've kind of put an end to the, the crop loss estimates uh, that we've seen trend lower for Argentina the past couple months. Yeah, so moisture in the news, including in this country, with a lot of uh, the country getting moisture, uh, needed moisture in many places, but that also uh, has kind of changed the the price situation for wheat, hasn't it? Yes, uh, boy, right, you know, all winter long, uh, we've been wondering what the spring conditions were going to be like when that winter wheat crop emerged. And now that we're getting close and uh, we've seen some uh, big combinations of rain and snow moved through the southwestern plains and got more again even earlier uh, this week. It's looking much more favorable for that U.S. winter wheat crop. Add to that the fact that we're getting favorable reports out of Europe, Ukraine, southern Russia, and right now we have a very bearish outlook early in 2021 uh, for that wheat price, and and we've seen that six-month wheat trend uh, start to turn lower. Yeah, it was looking good for a while, but now it's all, as you pointed out, has changed. So it'll be interesting to see. That kind of leads me into next week's planning intentions report because it's been kind of interesting to to speculate not only corn and bean acres, but what about wheat acres? Uh, I guess this could impact that too. Yes. Uh, well, of course, in the case of winter wheat, that's already planted. But in the case of spring wheat, you're absolutely right. Future planting, yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. y- yes. Uh, uh, spring wheat, we are looking for a reduction in those acres, and it's uh, simply a couple things going on. Number one, uh, North Dakota, Montana, the western Canadian prairie, they all have a very dry outlook right now. The other thing is there's a lot more profitable-looking crops this year in that spring wheat region than the spring wheat price currently offers. So uh, there's temptation to go to canola, pulses, maybe even uh, more corn. Uh, in that area. So spring wheat's going to have a lot more competition when it comes to planting time this year. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see uh, yeah, what happens with spring wheat plantings. Uh, let's talk about the, the intentions report next week. There'll be a lot of attention. on This This can be a, a, a kind of a, an explosive report, right, historically, and what are you expecting this time? Yeah, and, and I should uh, remind everybody that this report gets a lot of attention. It definitely has a price impact on the markets, but it's not always right. And so as an analyst, this can be a very frustrating time for me. For instance, last year, we overestimated uh, this report, overestimated corn acres by 6 million. In previous years, soybean acres have been missed by over 8 million acres. So uh, it can be a distorting report some ways. And uh, it's hard to say that 
even after this survey, we're going to have uh, any better understanding of what's actually going to be planted. So given that caution in, uh, in mind, my concern in this report is that uh, we could see higher than expected corn acres. Uh, that seems to be what a lot of the private surveys are looking for. You know, USDA set out a February expectation of 92 million corn. Some are now coming up in above that closer to 94 million. And, uh, and uh, to get there, they're having to trim off the soybeans from USDA's 90 million acre estimate and putting it a little below 90. So there, there's a possibility that it could be a little bearish uh, here on the corn side. It, and, and just uh, for kicks, if we put the pencil to 94 million acres, we're looking at roughly a 15 and a half billion bushel crop. So that's a big crop. Now, we're going to have a lot of demand. We're going to have a, probably at least 15 billion bushels of demand. But uh, 94 million acres uh, would, would uh, put a little bit of a, a bearish top on that new crop corn price. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. If we hit 94 million, if that's the number that comes out, how bearish is that, or is that now already somewhat factored in? Uh, no, I don't think it's factored in yet. So far, we have a rising new crop price, and uh, honestly, given the demand situation we're in and the fact that we have a weather risk still ahead of us in this market, you know, that's another layer to this uh, that we haven't really talked about yet. So everything has to go right to get to that 15 and a half billion uh, bushel crop estimate. But uh, of course, we're not guaranteed of that. It's still very early in the season. So it's very proper for that new crop corn price to have a, a, a little weather risk built into it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, good weather, early planting might get us more to that 94 million, right? But if it's a uh, wet spring, a late planting uh, season, then it might uh, switch it back more to soybeans. Yes, uh, absolutely right. Uh, any delay in the, the crop planting, which doesn't look like we're going to have this time of year, unless it comes from the east or southeastern Corn Belt, that's uh, where the risk of maybe too much moisture would get in the way. So that's something we'll have to keep watching. Yep, we'll see what happens next week. We'll be talking with you about it then. Thanks a lot, Todd. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Yeah, a lot of eyes will be focused on that report next week, although, as Todd said, um, has a history of not being accurate, so we'll keep that in mind, too. Up next, we'll talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about some proposed legislation and livestock hauling. That's next here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're happy to have with us the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining. Let's now talk about this huge issue of migrants crossing the border. Give us an update on the situation, what it's like there, its impact on Texas, Texas agriculture, how farmers and ranchers are dealing with it. The bulk of the issue is down in the valley area. You get down in that area and that's really where it's been. And I guess talking to some folks down there, whenever you have a surge like that, you have issues like your federal officials, federal inspectors, you know, border patrol folks that do immigration control, but they do inspections on truck traffic. Whenever those folks get taxed uh, to a great extent to what they can get done, well, then they're pulled away from something like truck inspections. Most of your listeners know there's a lot of truck traffic that goes through that area, a lot of ag produce. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. It's Agriculture Week, and FS salutes farmers for all they do, providing food and fiber for everyone. Since 1973, the first day of spring, or very close to it, has been designated as Ag Day to demonstrate the importance of agriculture to everyone. FS is proud to serve farmers and other rural residents and businesses and to inform consumers of the importance of agriculture and the major role it plays in feeding our population and sustaining our economy. Thanks, farmers, from FS. FS bringing you What's Next. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we continue to keep an eye on proposed legislation that would impact agriculture. We've talked a lot about the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Let's now look at another piece of legislation that was recently introduced in the House, uh, or rather in the Senate, I should say, uh, with bipartisan support. It's the Halls Act, a bill which would deliver flexibility for livestock haulers. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is endorsing this uh, bill. We're joined now by Allison Rivera. Executive Director, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Allison, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this Halls Act, what it would do, and why it's uh, so important for the the livestock industry. Absolutely. Well, thank you for allowing me to talk a little bit about this legislation with you you today, Mike. So S-792 is the Haulers of Agriculture and Livestock Safety Act, and, you know, we named it the Halls Act, which I think is very fitting Again, we are very appreciative that this has been dropped in a very bipartisan way with a 50-50 split in the Senate. We need all the support on both sides of the aisle that we can get. But again, this is not a new bill. This was introduced last Congress. So this is a reintroduction. Again, it shows how much support uh, this flexibility for livestock haulers has. So this bill um, will add that back-end 150 air mile exemption that we currently have on the front end of hauls. And again, that is, that is an exemption for ag commodity haulers, right? We work a lot in the livestock space specifically, but always happy to have the rest of our ag friends join us and benefiting all of agriculture. But this bill does, does three things. It fixes a few definition issues uh, with the commodity definition. It also fixes that seasonality piece that we have with this air mile exemption where some of the states still don't uh, consider planting and harvesting season to be year-round. So it fixes that piece. And then the biggest piece for us is that addition of that 150 air mile exemption. And we firmly believe that this will add that flexibility that we continue to talk about with FMCSA and and with our friends uh, on the Hill. As you said, this has been an issue you've been working on for some time now. With the bipartisan support in the Senate, which can be very hard to get, but so you have it, that would seem to be a good sign. Uh, do you think you can get it across the finish line this time? I mean, the the hope, Mike, is to get this legislation into a larger infrastructure package. Again, we know that we have the support. We really need those of your listeners today to reach out to their delegations to continue to gather those co-sponsors on this bill um, we, we believe that this is a common-sense piece of legislation. We've had lots of conversations with offices about, you know, the benefits of this 150 air mile exemption on the front end and that continued need for flexibility for livestock callers. 
We've even had those conversations recently with the, uh, the new acting administrator at FMCSA. You know, we want to share with them our industry and why we need these flexibilities. So we are, we're going to remain positive uh, as we move forward with this infrastructure package. They're beginning to work on it. They're starting to piece it together. But we will absolutely um, continue to think that we can get this bill into a larger package. We have a lot of support for this language. The House has already started talking about a companion bill. Hmm. I, I, you mentioned talking with the, the new administration about this. Have they been receptive to it? You know, we had a really good meeting recently. Uh, quite a few ag groups, uh, you know, were reached out to by the new acting administrator, uh, Mira Joshi, and, and she is coming from outside of, uh, of the ag industry. And she asked a lot of great questions about, you know, what our halls look like, um, how we're moving around the country. And, you know, we were able to explain to her just the importance of our industry, getting products on the shelves uh, to consumers and making sure that we have those supply chains moving, um, but also just explaining the need for our flexibility and the reason that we continue to push DOT and Congress um, on changes to hours of service, that this, uh, you know, current hours of service painting with one brush across all of trucking just doesn't work for our livestock haulers. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems obvious to those uh, close to it, but uh, maybe some not familiar with it. Uh, this is part of the, the learning curve that one size doesn't fit all because big difference between hauling livestock and hauling uh, some other uh, type of goods, right? Uh, because of the live nature of uh, hauling livestock. So you've got to uh, take that into consideration. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, sometimes we just have to reiterate that the current hours of service, which is 11 hours of drive time, 14 on duty, and then a mandated 10-hour consecutive rest. And Mike, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody these days who gets 10 hours of consecutive rest. But, you know, for our livestock callers, that is just, uh, in a lot of cases, an impossible feat. And we, you know, we mentioned to her just the animal welfare piece, which we continue to, to focus on, the constant loading and unloading of cattle, um, you know, in the middle of a trip is, is obviously uh, an animal welfare issue. And we want to be able to keep those cattle on the trailer and get them to their final destination in a safe manner where we're keeping the road safe, keeping the driver safe, and we're keeping the animals safe. So we continue to um, pass that message along as well, that we're asking for flexibility, not just for, you know, the economic reasons and, and keeping the roads safe, but also for that animal welfare piece. And COVID-19 highlighted this issue, didn't it? Absolutely. You know, we're, we also were thankful to the administrator that um, we are still sitting in an hours of service emergency declaration until May 31st. And, you know, we shared that we were grateful for that extension for a couple months. You know, we've had it for the last year. And then the new administration changed and we weren't sure what that was going to look like. And they immediately came in and extended that emergency declaration which has been very helpful to, again, make sure that those grocery store shelves do not go empty with, uh, with American beef. And so, you know, we were very thankful to her. We shared our thanks. But we also said, you know, if we need this past May 31st, please stop and take a look and please have a conversation with us so that we can figure out where we are as an industry, figure out where we are with COVID and making sure that we don't need that continued emergency uh, declaration. And so... You know, it was a great conversation, and we look forward to more conversations with her. So this becomes another part of this massive infrastructure bill we're hearing about. We'll keep a close watch on it. Allison, thanks for the update.
Yes, sir. Allison Rivera, Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Thanks for joining us and hope you'll be with us again tomorrow on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.